your farm and your future matter to us. Welcome to Dairy Stream, a podcast focusing on opportunities and challenges impacting the future of dairy. This podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations fighting for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Joanna Guza. Finding and sustaining a workable workforce is a challenge, and it's impacting several industries, including dairy. Dairy Stream has dedicated the next four episodes, sponsored by Compere Financial and Syngenta, with insights, recommendations, and tools for recruiting, retaining, coaching, and general HR legal items. This episode is going to focus on those beginning stages with recruiting, selecting, and onboarding your workforce. Today, our guests are Lori Culler. She's the founder of Egg Hires, an online job board and recruiting firm dedicated to the agriculture, horticulture, and the food production industry. We also have with us dairy farmer Laura Finger. Her and her husband, Phil, own Finger Family Farm in O'Connell, Wisconsin. They milk 540 cows, raise all of their own replacements, and farm 1,800 acres. Laura's farm employs 20 people with a variety of backgrounds, ranging from local people, high schoolers, retirees, and migrant labor, which is probably similar to a lot of our member farms. This first part is going to focus in on recruitment and selection. Lori, could you start off by sharing where should a farm start with recruiting and sourcing talent? Before we think about where we're going to post, you know, where we're going to advertise, we first need to figure out what are we exactly looking for. So when we're talking to our clients, they'll say something like, I need a farm operator and they really need to have a really strong farm background, which obviously is ideal, you know, grow up on a farm as well. But you know, with today's tight labor market, you know, we want to look at you know, is it farm operating, you know, could they be military operating equipment or construction heavy operating? So I really want them to slow down and peel back. What exactly are you needing from this candidate? And is the farm required, background required? Is it not required? Do they need a leadership management aspect, you know, to their qualities? Or are they more executing a role. So before we figure out where we're going to post, we really want them to work hard at thinking about who exactly are you looking for, and it'll help the process up from there. Obviously, advertising on ag hires, we're of course going to encourage that, but other job boards such as Indeed or LinkedIn, you know, depending on the role, a lot of our postings come with Facebook, social media advertising as well. As you know, it's a candidate market and it's tight, um, so we won't hash to that too much. But what are we going to do about it? Is how do we attract those passive candidates through some social media and really making sure when you do post that that job posting is compelling you know we can't get away with just a couple sentences anymore you know that we used to why come work for your farm what do you have to offer what's it going to be like to work there really spending a lot of time on what crafting what that job i call advertisement or job marketing piece should look like you know, talking with some of the other parts of our series, this is seriously the most critical part. And one thing that the other HR professionals were referencing was making sure and kind of like what you alluded to in that first part of know what the job skills that are required for that job, that the candidate knows what they are. Can you kind of like stress the importance so that they know what they're signing up for and that you're not just painting a beautiful picture for them? I would agree. It is a fine balance, but right, we're trying to showcase, you know, who we are. But if there are going to be longer hours during peak season, we want to be upfront right in that job posting about what that looks like. And I love to see on a job posting like our ideal candidate looks like. 
instead of saying, here's your tasks and here's your qualifications, you know, very structured. I like to see, I get what does our ideal candidate look like? And I'll kind of use the operators because it's the easiest, but saying, you know, we're open to candidates with any type of heavy equipment background, you know, agriculture is a plus, but we're open to those that are looking to train. For example, if, if you are in fact open to training, just say it how it is on that job posting. What we see is really rigid qualifications and very good candidates, uh, great candidates you probably wanna hire, will self-select themselves out if you have qualifications that are rigid. So let's say you want five to 10 years of ag experience and you have someone super hands-on, grew up you know, kind of in the country, associated with ag, but maybe wasn't on a farm, they're gonna read that and they're probably not gonna apply, but maybe you would wanna talk to that person. So we might be missing people by having those qualifications too rigid. Yeah, really good insight. And also, Lori, kind of curious from your perspective, being with an online job board and recruiting firm, just saw that in Laura's bio that she hires people that are local people, high schoolers, retirees, and migrant workers. What have you seen as the most successful platform? I mean, you mentioned you have your own egg hires, Indeed, LinkedIn, Facebook postings. What are the best avenues to take? Gosh, so all of those are good avenues for in the moment, like you have to have a job posting right now. If you want to know my best avenue is really thinking ahead. So having a social media presence in your community and getting people to kind of know your operation so that when you are ready to hire, you're more the place to go to versus trying to find someone. So I, ideal situation is you're actually building some future talents and constantly networking on your farm so that when you do have an opening, it's a lot easier. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but again, connecting with people, making it known on Facebook that you're always looking for top talent, you know, connect with me, even if we don't have a current opening posted, just having that constant focus, I, I would really encourage, especially right now in the market, we're seeing a lot less candidates want to relocate for jobs. Significantly the past six to eight months, we talked to a lot of recruiting firms, it just kind of dropped. Uh, all of a sudden people are not wanting to relocate for jobs, which means we have to go really hard at our local community for the talent. Really good insight. Also with us is dairy farmer, Laura Finger. Laura, from your farm's perspective, what have you guys done to recruit talent and post jobs? First of all, I agree completely with Lori. I am always networking for future talent and keeping up my social media presence. We've done a really great job finding employees through social media. I'm of a little older generation where we still use Facebook, but with some of the younger high schoolers, they use Instagram. Uh, we also have some TikToks out there. So at least people know what we are and what we're doing because they can follow us. Mm -hmm. Another thing is word of mouth. And a long time ago, we were able to get a core group of um, high school kids. And then it has just gone down through the years where you had a few good ones that had brought a friend. So maybe they were a senior leaving here, going on to college, and they were like, hey, I have a buddy that's 16, just got his driver's license. He's looking for a job. And we've been able to like word of mouth that. So it's helped to get the high school crew, which we we really like having. And then another thing that I do is next 
to our time clock, which we call the smart clock, we have a big glass dry erase board and we always have notes for you know what we need to do or so on and so forth. And when I know that I'm going to need an employee, like someone's leaving or we're going to have extra workload, I'll always write a note on there in both English and Spanish saying what we're looking for, how many hours. And out of that, probably like within the first week of it, I'll usually have someone tap me on the shoulder and say like, oh, my friend is just getting her driver's license and she's looking for a job or like oh I have a friend that's working making pizzas and she doesn't like it anymore what do you have available and I think those have been really good avenues because it's somebody that somebody knows right I mean that's a really interesting perspective and way to to take on recruiting new talent Laura just to follow up though have you ever had a backfire where the good friend may not have been a good coworker? Oh, so what I always ask in my next question is, is this someone that you would like to work with? Right. Yep, that helps. Yeah, that's a good that's a good follow-up. So we have the jobs posted. We got a whole pile of people coming in that want to come work for the farm or a dairy business. Lori, from your perspective, what is the best way to assess that talent pool? I would say really don't overread the resume. I would say is my number one hint. You know, even our clients will pre-screen candidates and they'll still overread the resume. So not everyone's a great resume writer. So I think if the content is close enough or if you think the relatable skills might be there, in my opinion, it's worth that 10, 15 minute call just to explore. So I would say, again, reach out more than less. We are unfortunately seeing ghosting happening. That is a term, it happens quite a bit. That means they'll apply to your job or say they're interested and not respond back or not show up for the interview. With today's technology, I always reach out twice. You know, maybe I'll call them and then also follow up with a text message and a text and an email maybe as well. But after that, I can kind of pause from there. But just make sure you're spending enough time with each individual person. Have that kind of mapped up what you're gonna what you're gonna look for. When it comes to pay and benefits, kind of where people want to know that up front, is there anything else worth mentioning up front and being transparent about in that recruiting process? And Lori, from your perspective, and then Laura, if you could add from what you guys have done on the farm. A few things to keep in mind about paying benefits. One is on the job posting itself. If you do advertise for that job, there are several states now that require you to put a pay range. That is new within the last couple of years. You know, Washington, the state of Washington just came on recently and several other states. And you're going to see more follow. So just make sure you know the kind of laws and regulations for your state for compliance for that if you do post. And then typically, if it's not required, I don't put an exact pay range, but I will advertise benefits. And then when you're interviewing, I recommend on the very first interview asking what would they be looking for in their next career move in terms of compensation to see if they'll give you a range first. And they might say in turn around say, well, what is your range? And I think at that point you should be prepared to give one. Um, There's a lot of TikToks and messages that are telling candidates to not share the information and to hold it. And it's it's making our job a little um, more difficult because I think before just more transparent, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Is that within your range? And then the farmer would answer. Now we're getting a little foot on us sometimes. I think that's okay, but I would give a wider range because you don't quite know enough about the candidate yet at the first interview. I would widen that range a little bit and just say it really depends on the candidate and their skills and what they would be bringing to the table. We were leaning towards this to this for our range 
is a suggestion at the first one. When you get down to that second or third interview, I'm gonna always recommend you interview three times. If it gets down to that third interview, then we can kind of just really make sure on the same page with what that final offer might look like. On that initial job posting, Lori, should you have all of like what you're going to pay and then other benefits, whether that's paid time off or insurance and those types of items? So benefits, yes. So health insurance, it doesn't have to be super specific. It can just be, we offer health insurance, dental, 401k with a match, you know, paid time off. could be a simple, simple line item like that. If you don't know your market uh, as well or where you need to be with pay, I would highly recommend you leave it off because if it's going to be flexible depending on the candidate, I would leave it off. If you have a very tight budget and you know you're not going to go over this dollar amount, then I would go ahead and put it on so that everyone's aware and some only candidates will apply that are within that pay range. So I tend to leave it off unless the state requires it or if we're really on a, on a very set budget, then I'll put it on. And Laura, from your farm's perspective, when do you guys bring up pay and benefits? Well, first of all, I want to add that we always try to politically correctly screen them to make sure that they're a fit at our place also. And then we assess their skill level. And then is when we go into general pay and benefit. Once they're here through the doors, maybe they've done one day of training, we go through the extras that we have listed in our employee handbook. A lot of things can be flexible, so we leave them off. And something could always be built into their wage if it's something else that they're looking for. Lori, from your perspective, is is that good to kind of put that flexibility? Like, should you be more open with like, hey, our pay range is from X dollars to X dollars or saying based on experience? In my perspective, it'd be more enticing if I know how much I'm going to make before I'd apply for the job. It is. Candidates in general, the, their number one complaint of candidates is that there's not pay listed on a job posting. Mm-hmm. So, I would say if you're comfortable with the range, you know, give a range. But if you're really just unsure or not comfortable, then I would put the DOE or dependent on experience. Right. And Laura, like you mentioned, it's going to depend on their experience and and what they are going to offer your farm and making sure that they are the best candidate of how much you're going to want to pay them. Two more questions as we wrap up this first part of Dairy Stream. Lori, what recommendations do you have when selecting the candidate, especially if you maybe have two that are pretty close? So this is a loaded question, so I'll try not to take too long. There's a lot of tips here. So one is, you know, really make sure that you're not necessarily interviewing behind a desk or at a kitchen table or at the office. Maybe you could start there, but I really want to get them out in the element that they'd be working at and see how they interact, how they move, how they walk, how they, you know, even glance or smile or not smile at other employees. So I really want to, you know, encourage you to get them in their elements, you know, two to three interviews, multiple people interviewing as best you can to get some different, I guess, perspective from from others. And then I I really want to encourage farmers to get really good at digging. You know, I realize we're a recruiting firm, so we do it all day long. But when I talk to farmer groups, I talk really a lot about how to dig deeper on those interview questions. So a lot of times a farmer might hear their answer and say, huh, I wonder why that was. And then they don't ask, what, why was that? So kind of like the podcast we're having right now. So just digging um, a little deeper and really understanding who they are and what makes them tick kind of more than anything. So 
asking why they transitioned from one job to another. You know, why are they interested in this role versus a different role? What do they like or dislike? What was their favorite job, their least favorite job? You're really trying to figure out who they are and what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what they're naturally great at. And all those, I guess, inherent traits is what I'm really looking for that I, I would say would set two candidates apart from another. You know, is someone going to, you know, pick up and learn really fast? You know, do they fit the culture? You know, if the culture is, you know, move fast and a little more direct and let's go, then you're going to want candidates that fit within that culture. So just really making sure a good cultural fit. And then last tip I promise is to be thorough and yet, you know, don't go too slow in your hiring process because good candidates really move quickly and they're off the market just as fast as they came on. So if you have a great candidate, I'm not saying don't be thorough, but move thoroughly, but quickly so you don't lose a good one. Lori, want to follow up on one thing you said. You talk about being so thorough and bringing them to the farm, shadowing. Would you do that for an entry level all the way to a manager? You know, I'm still going to say too, which which I might have some, you know, milk thrown at me. But um, <laughs> I would say, you know, even our part-time marketing assistant, we just hired, I mean, part-time, pretty junior we interviewed three times. Now, um, general labor, I would say, I would like to see them twice. I'm curious if they show up on time the second time. Everyone gets really comfortable the second interview, and it's just not the same as the first. So I'm still going to say, too, doesn't have to be super long, but it'll tell you a lot, and it might save you from having to go through the headache of, of firing. And Laura, from your farm's perspective, what recommendations do you have when selecting candidates? Again, I would really agree with Lori. The second time you get a good feel, and that's why I always have the candidate come in and just watch what we're doing first. And, you know, like if we were hiring for a milking technician, they wouldn't have to stay the entire shift, but just come in and see what we're doing. And then I'll ask, can you see yourself doing this task? You know, does does this look like something that you'd be interested in doing and something that you'd like to do and that you could see yourself training in? And, you know, I've had people say, I just really can't see myself doing that job. Okay. Mm -hmm. Same with calf feeding. You get out in the elements and they start seeing like, well, am I going to have to walk on snow and ice? Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, I broke my Achilles tendon four years ago. I really can't see myself being able to do that. And so, you know, they kind of weed themselves out that way. But the other thing is, if I'm looking for a part-time position, especially in like the young crowd of high schoolers, so say we had a job posting and then we had four serious inquiries and they all sounded like they'd be good candidates, I will actually take all four because it always seems like they could, you know, they weed themselves out or, you know, schedules change or it's not a bad thing to have extra help around. We can always find something else or, you know, people want time off, they want a vacation, somebody's going to have a baby, you know, there's all different scenarios. And so to be a little heavier makes the rest of the workforce not feel so stressed with work also. And what I'm hearing from both of you is taking that time, even though it feels like, oh, I have to schedule more time to learn more about a candidate I don't even know if I'm going to hire, is going to pay off in the long haul. Final question as we wrap up this first part of Dairy's Dream. Lori, how do you ensure the farm and the candidates' expectations are clear and met? It's a great question. 
it really comes down to those that time spent during the interview process. Yeah, you know, that is really where you want to be laying out a lot of expectations very early on and then and then go for them again. You know, if they come in for that second time or if it's a higher level position one more time, you know, go for them again and really make sure that it's clear on both sides that these are the hours, these are the conditions, this is how much how long you're gonna be staying on your feet, you know, these are the expectations for if you call off or you know, again, how long the schedule is, Do you have to work rotated weekends or what have you communication what is it gonna like to feel like and work on this farm so i tell new hires okay this is kind of who i am as a manager this is kind of what you can expect in my communication style and you know so we're all clear ahead of time so it really comes down to that strong interview process and then just reiterating more than once if i catch a farm doing one thing wrong it's it's, they'll say it once and i really think it needs to be repeated a couple times and what about from the candidate's perspective so is there a way a farm should be asking them what their expectations are? I mean, because like if they need time off quickly or is there a proper way to ask to make sure that their expectations are met? You know, it depends on the role. So it's a little harder to answer, but asking them things like, you know, what types of, you know, time off might you need or does that schedule fit for you and, and things like that. You would want to make sure that this fits for them um, long term. Sometimes I've been pretty open, like let's say we're interviewing for a part-time role, and I'll say, if I had a full-time role and a part-time role, what would you prefer? And they'll say, oh, I actually really want a full-time role. So if I only have a part-time role, it's not gonna change, you'll know probably they're gonna leave. So there are ways to kind of find out from them what are they truly looking for, and you can help them make a match and you know, not have a mismatch on them because they'll take probably what whatever they can in the moment, but you know, if their heart's not in that kind of role, whether it like be outside or be behind a desk or full-time versus part-time, it's really our job to kind of get that from the candidate somehow. And Laura, with your family farm perspective, how do you ensure that the farm and the candidate's expectations are clear? So in dairy, it's really difficult because there's such a broad spectrum of needs on the employment basis, whether you need somebody as a milker or do you need a crop manager. So just as Lori talked about, there's just different expectations to meet. But on a broad sense, the first thing is, is that we have a pretty complete employee handbook that's in both English and Spanish that's provided on the first day. And then I also have what to expect on your first day, which we can talk about later in onboarding. Next, we have job descriptions for each job on the farm that's posted. And then uh, SOPs in both languages by the workstations, just to be sure. So, you know, it's also just a checklist to make, you know, sometimes people don't mean to skip something, but then it's a way of me going back and saying, oh, no, it's right here, so make sure you check this off on the list. And then finally, we engage in a software um, time clock program called PeopleCore and the Smart Clock, which also helps us create yes, no printed evaluations and criteria for change. And then one more thing I wanted to add, something that I feel really helps to let the candidate know what our expectations is, is when they see the work environment. And I really pride myself on that our dairy and our office are really clean. Our locker room's nice and clean and fresh, you know, with air fresheners. Also, like, toilet is clean, you know. So they know what they're coming into. Like, hey, we have a higher standard, and we expect 
expect that this is how we are all going to perform. We're all high-level performers here. So if you're, you know, maybe wanting to be dirty or you're going to want to be a certain way, you might not fit our work environment. And they kind of get the memo. And that's like a way that they maybe weed themselves out of it. And then maybe that wasn't your best candidate. I say this without trying to be too negative about it. You know, plenty of positives all the time. No, I, I agree with you, Laura. It's like that that lasting first impression and making sure that you're making that good first impression on both ends from the farm's perspective and that candidate that's walking in. So this first part focused in on recruiting and selecting. Now we have that quality candidate. How do we do the onboarding process? Well, we're going to cover that after the break. So stay with us. We will be right back with Dairy Stream after we hear from our sponsor. Syngenta Crop Protection and Syngenta Seeds are part of Syngenta Group, one of the world's leading agricultural companies. Our ambition is to help safely feed the world while taking care of the planet. We aim to improve the sustainability, quality, and safety of agriculture with world-class science and innovative crop solutions. Our technologies enable millions of farmers around the world to make better use of limited agricultural resources. Learn more at Syngenta.com. The Dairy Stream Podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. In the second part, we are diving into onboarding, a very critical step for setting up your workforce for success. Our guests are Lori Culler, founder of Egg Hires, and Laura Finger, a manager and owner at Finger Family Farms. Lori, could you start off by sharing what is an effective onboarding plan? It actually comes with the word plan is really having a good plan mapped out really that first week not only the first day but the first week should be well mapped out as well as 30 60 days what are we looking to accomplish within each of those checkpoints and there's several big elements that make an effective onboarding i have to pause here back up a little bit but 20 to 30 percent of new hires quit their job within the first 90 days so if we don't already think onboarding is really critical depending on statistically what what site you're looking at it's about 20 30 percent quit in the first 90 days so it's really critical to have this well mapped out you have your transactional side which i would call more of you know when do you get paid and where, you know where's your time clock is it on the wall is it on your phone or you know what are some of those expectations and then you have how do we integrate them into the team and sometimes that's where it gets missed it gets missed on like the handbook which is important in the transactional side but how do we integrate them into the team so they think they feel welcomed and they want to be here and they've got quote unquote maybe a new buddy to interact with so what are we doing during that time frame to get them well integrated in the team? And then that last piece is, as a manager, how are you developing that manager-employee relationship with coaching and expectations? So there's really kind of three parts to an effective onboarding plan to be executed. Well, let's talk about that fun paperwork side. So we don't just want to throw the handbook at them. What are some tips and recommendations you have to make that more of a fun process of going through the handbook and not just saying, hey, read this on your own terms? I like to do that, especially that first day. It's a little mix of both. So, okay, yes, we have to go over some policies and procedures. And yes, we have the handbook, but that really should be gone over verbally as well, at least highlighted. And then, and then you might 
move into okay how do we communicate on the farm what are those expectations on the farm culturally what kind of goes on here and they can also go back and then do some more um you know uh nitty-gritty on like safety procedures and things like that that first day or two we almost can't help it but there's a lot of SOPs, a lot of compliance a lot of like rules of engagement so to speak that you do need to go over but if you can squeeze in a lunch with some employees and if you can do some kind of walking around on the farm to go over some of these policies and procedures besides just being behind a desk that's going to be a lot more effective after about an hour or two if they're just sitting there at a desk going over this with you they're probably not you know taking anything else in so you're going to have to kind of vary it up that that first day when it comes to the transactional side you mentioned something about having an employee lunch. That's probably trying to build that culture and getting to know the team. Is there any other tips that you have besides an employee lunch that uh, farms could consider? Typically, I hate the word buddy, but I don't know how else to say it. Like usually we'll assign a buddy to someone. So it's really, you know, besides your manager that you could go to questions, that's who you go to for like the silly questions. Like, is there like a, like a, a bathroom break or where are they or where do I put this or you know you know all those kind of questions that any um, employee could answer for them you really have them as a go-to person they help also to ensure that they're integrated with the team and it also helps your current employees feel like they're valued and they're doing something kind of above and beyond to contribute to the camaraderie so it's kind of twofold benefit but I always like to ensure that they have one other person as kind of like their go-to side person on the farm. So we do talk about the 90-day retention interviews in the second episode of this workforce series, but you made a comment about for the onboarding process, that first week is very critical. Is there anything beyond that farms need to be aware of or just really focusing in on that that first week is a good first impression? First week is critical, but I, I also see farms that do that really well and then it kind of falls off from there. So are we having that set structured sit down at 30 days and we let them know okay at 30 days we're gonna be talking all the time we'll have one or two times a week that we're gonna set um to communicate and that 30 days we'll have a really deeper check-in and then at 60 days we'll have another check-in and this is what we'd expect where you'd be at in terms of training and, and efficiency and competencies by your 60 days so you're starting to lay out targets for them and what that looks like so they, they can they kind of know where they're heading in terms of their performance for you. So at least, you know, once or two, twice a week, set time with that new hire, but then for sure 30, 60, what are we looking to accomplish? Laying out those expectations. Laura at Family Finger Farm, can you share how you onboard new employees? One thing that I think is really valuable is that I prepared a sheet of paper years ago and it says how to prepare for your first day at Finger Family Farm. And it covers just a single sheet, but it covers what should I wear? Should I bring something to eat and drink? When is my break time? Do I need a vehicle? Where do I park? What documents do I need to bring? And then at the end of it, I um, have a note from Phil and I, and it says that we realize that you're unsure what to expect on your first day here, but please know that we're happy to have you here. We generally let another highly regarded employee train you on your first day. And then we go into that we do have an employee handbook. And on the back side of it, there's a perforated sheet, which is a checklist of all the things that we need to cover as a new employee. And that kind of starts the lifelong journey here. 
because onboarding doesn't just take one day or one week. I mean, really, you could have people here for years and they're still getting safety training in different modules. They're still learning how to do different things, you know, at a different level, how to operate um, different pieces of equipment. So what, you know, maybe would be like the safety manual of the equipment plus an extra safety video on top of that. And so it's not going to just happen in one day, but I like to not bombard them also with too much information in a short period of time. Because as you know, learning anything new, you just get to the point where your mind is fried. Mm -hmm. And I imagine being a new person in a new environment, you feel like that also. So it's kind of like, hey, this is just what we're doing. We've kind of covered the basics. Like don't put your hand here on the ledge because a cow could kick your hand. But after that, just letting them kind of absorb where they're at. And then finally, I will do a tour of the facility so that everybody knows where things are, where they could find things, where they put things. But I like to do that after at least one successful day of training to make sure, you know, we're on the same page. Right, Laura. I mean, you're doing an excellent job putting yourself in their shoes as if it's your first day going to a job when you do have all those like simple questions, but there's so much unknown. Laura, I'm curious, what are your touch points, you know, after that first week that you kind of get through some of that paperwork type stuff? How are you reconnecting with your with your new employees? Is it messaging, you know, via text message? Are you having scheduled meetings with them? Do you kind of have that buddy system that Lori talked about? After a couple of days on the job, maybe a week before we get to our first payday, I like to have another wraparound session. Mm. Mind you that the nature of our business is that we're there all the time. So I always check in with people in the morning, whether you're just walking through and like, hey, good morning, how are you? Or if I don't get a chance to do that because I've had a busy morning myself with, you know, feeding calves and whatnot, I'll always come back on like the second or third shift and do that. I walk my dog at night. And so then if you have a new employee, I'll always come back in and I'll be like, hey, how's it going tonight? Are you learning this or did you learn this yet? And like, oh, do you have any questions of where anything is? And sometimes I find that people are more inclined to ask me, you know, they could have been working with their work buddy for the last four hours, but they're more inclined to ask me like, hey, where can I put my boots to dry? Or is there a certain hook that I can hang my jacket on? You know, little things like that. But then when they start asking questions like that, I know that they've like bought into wanting to be here. And like they're like, oh, I can see myself working here for a long time. You're setting them up for success. Now, Lori, what are some of those biggest mistakes you see with onboarding process on farms? Well, the first ones we see a lot of lack of an onboarding process at all. So that would be the biggest, biggest issue. But the other one is almost taking for granted that it is very transactional. Okay, we just go through the new hire paperwork and a couple of rules and off you go. And so that's probably the biggest mistake we see is really just, again, not taking the time to ensure that they're fully integrated into the team and have a full understanding of the role and expectations. And sometimes you're not going to hear that from them. They just might not stay. So, you know, having those sit downs, you know, having a structure to it, I think that's the biggest mistake. They kind of take it for granted or just kind of rely on their other team members to just kind of handle the new person and just really not having those those set check-ins. Now, when it comes to your workforce on the farm, I mean, Laura, your farm's a perfect example, having high school employees, local people, different cultural backgrounds. How do you make sure that they are all meshing well together? What does your farm do, Laura? Oh, yes. 
in order to tackle, and I don't even want to call it a battle because it is not a battle anymore, but it was one time, you know, maybe 10 years ago of having a mix of backgrounds and cultures. So the first thing, Google Translate helps us on a daily basis really well, but so does the prior relationships that we've had built with current longstanding employees. And then we always make it clear who's responsible in a tactful way of like saying who's the boss so that everybody knows who they answer to or who they kind of have to impress, right? That way, hopefully people aren't saying so-and-so is telling them how to do their job or they're seeking approval from one another as much as making it clear that we're the ones that we're going to correct the behavior or we're going to be the ones to ask for extra tasks to be completed. And then um, another thing is, is that I have audio recordings in both English and Spanish. Um, I want just to loop around about like employee handbooks or how to prepare for your first day, because I think we need to recognize that with a different influx of people coming into the United States and like kind of how COVID has changed things with school, not everybody proficiently reads and writes in even their native language. And you know, what is the dialect of it? So sometimes if they just hear it and I have like, um, it just very plainly uh, audio recording of those things like the SOPs so they can just listen to it and they don't have to try to read through something that is maybe too hard for them to read or, you know, they didn't want to read it, but it's just kind of right there. And the other thing of mixing um, people is that it's just known. We don't tolerate disrespect. We always use each other's preferred names. We use manners, pleases, and thank yous. And then we always make it clear if you need help, please ask one of us. You know, there's four or five of us that are in management here and any one of us will help anybody. And if something is wrong, please call, you know, please call right away and somebody will take care of it right away, you know, right away or answer your question or help you with your concerns. But, you know, wrapping one more thing is just to use manners, pleases and thank yous and smiles go so far. Really comes back down to the basics. Lori, from your perspective, what recommendations do you have to ensure that different backgrounds and cultures are mixing well? I'm going to piggyback off of Laura as well, but it, you know, it's really about setting some expectations on how we're going to interact together and then also setting some time together, whether that's again, lunch, you can even have a cookout. We've seen a lot of farms do cookouts on their farming operation just to give them some interaction, maybe in not just a structured work setting, but getting to know each other that way for some of your office roles or leadership roles were a big proponent of DISC, DISC behavioral um, styles and understanding, you know, how individuals kind of naturally behave and interact and then, and then how to best work with those individuals. And so I think depends on the roles and the positions on the farm, what tools you might use, but definitely some time together as a team. And then also um, even using some behavioral tools for the leadership and management side. Now going into our final question of this part of Dairy Stream, Lori, what do you think the future of recruiting, selecting, and onboarding is going to look like even after we hear that our skilled labor force is probably going to be going down? Yes, I know. I, I was like, I'm still trying to navigate the present <laughs> right now. It's been a really rocky, if, if everyone's been saying we're short, right? And I've been saying that for years, but the past year and a half to two years, the entire process and hiring has been just rocked from anything historic. So mm-hmm. we are seeing individuals not want to relocate, as we mentioned. We're seeing obviously a big push for candidates wanting remote or a hybrid schedule. And that push is not losing any steam by any by any means. And unfortunately, 
with us being in recruiting all the time and I started this business for farms specifically, we're still seeing a lot less individuals interested in on-farm roles. We're getting a lot of kickback, even from those that grew up on the farm that are coming back to on-farm roles. They are tending to sometimes eye up like an agribusiness role or a sales role or something related to farming, but not on the farm. So if you look in the future, what does this look like for us? I, I think as best we can, farms are going to have to almost get even better and more creative at uh, rotations of schedules. And again, I know we can't meet like an eight to five. That's just never going to happen for ag. But we've even done some our own switching around for like uh, multiple shifts or having um, some retirees cover the evening shift so that our hours aren't too extreme so that we can still attract talent. So I think farms are going to have to be, be, you know, become really creative at what can we do and I guess that could be perfect on the schedules but what can we do to get there in terms of like selecting um talents we'll see there's you know tons of uh computer-based recruiting tools where the computer asks them several questions I just don't think we're there yet and I think it's a very cold experience for the candidate so if we get there there's tools out now I just wouldn't suggest using them and I also think farmers today ask me a lot like what kind of assessment should I use give me an assessment there are some great assessments but the assessment won't ever replace you know standing across from somebody so they're again a tool to use so you're going to see some technology differences we can use um, for onboarding obviously there's a, a lot of tools now for SOP management like online SOPs or video SOPs so I think you're going to see us use more technology but at the end of the day it's humans to humans so you know humans that make up a business and humans that are hiring and there's still going to be that human element and technology is not going to replace that I will have to predict though it's not going to get any easier in the next you know zero to five years in terms of recruiting just harder is my expectation right Laura I felt like that was a roller coaster of an answer. It forces you to be creative, but then you share that reality of what this is going to look like for the future job market. Laura, from yeah. from your perspective on the farm, what do you think recruiting and selecting and onboarding is going to look like for the future? Or have you guys talked about maybe changes you're going to implement? You know, I also have the same feeling that the pool of possibilities it's just going to get smaller and smaller. So honestly, I hope we're kind of on the right path of doing it correctly now. But I do think embracing technology is really important to the younger workforce that we're seeing come into this field because they really know a lot about computers and the digital age. None of them ever remember a life without having a computer or a tablet or a cell phone. Even for us, we can hardly remember that time. Mm -hmm. Or like, how do we ever do it? And so that's where I see having um, things like tablets, like our mechanic, they have the possibility of having an iPad just for looking at um, shop manuals and like a time clock that's digital, so on and so forth. I think when you have those like niche little things, it attracts people and it makes them want to stay because they're, that's how their minds are thinking. Right. Our topic today has been on recruiting, selecting, and onboarding. And our guests and expertise is Lori Culler with Founders of Egg Hires and also Laura Finger, a manager and owner of Finger Family Farms. Now we have these good employees. What's next? We got to retain them and engage them. That's what our next episode is going to focus on. So make sure you stay with us in this four-part Workable Workforce series. We're proud to bring that to you from the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. So thank you so much for staying with us. With us, I'm your host, Joanna Guza.
The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, email us at podcast at dairyforward.com.